this has the, the opportunity for the greatest turnaround in college football exists here today, and it's not one to be taken lightly. will field it at the 5, to the 10, pass the numbers to the 20, 25, look out, 30. He's at the 40, to the midfield strike, to the 40, down the far sideline, 10, 5, to the house, Wildcat touchdown for Tremaine Thompson. Welcome to Bring on the Podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bringing the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Drew Schneider is here with us today. Drew, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Pretty good. And as we prepare for Oklahoma, another 2.30 game on Saturday. I guess I just had a bunch of those this year. But our guest today is the founder and editor of Blatant Homerism. He also writes occasionally for the Crimson Cream on SB Nation, as well as for Athlon Sports. It's Alan Kinney. Alan, how are you? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you here. You start out by just telling you the only OU I've really sat down to watch this year is the, is the fourth quarter of OU Texas and the early in the TCU game. So needless to say, I am terrified of the Sooners' offense. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're, I guess, they're yeah. not always that good, right? Uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty pretty potent attack there. It's, yeah. it's the other side of the ball where they've had more of the issues. Right, right. And we'll get to that, but um, you know, let's start with. Future Oakland A's star Kyler Murray seems like he's been a pretty solid Baker Mayfield replacement. You know he's a little bit smaller, but and probably not as wild and crazy as Baker. But how do the two compare? What they can do? Wow, that's a good question. You know OU hasn't really lost any you know kind of effectiveness, I guess, as an offense. From what I've seen, you know Murray offers a little bit more in terms of explosiveness, mm-hmm. just based on you know I mean. Mayfield was a nice runner as a quarterback, but Murray is just a different level, you know, in terms of his speed. So he can break off bigger runs there. And, you know, I'm not sure if he throws a better deep ball than Mayfield did, but, you know, that threat of the uh, run has really kind of helped kind of suck defenses in and, and open up opportunities for him to take the top off the defense. So, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's certainly a more explosive offense. Mayfield was probably a little better in terms of making the, you know, kind of stringing together longer drives on play-to-play and, and, and working within the offense that way. But, you know, from an explosiveness standpoint, uh, whatever might be lost there, and I'm not sure if it's a ton, has been replaced by, uh, you know, more big plays. Yeah. That, that difference probably not all that similar to the difference between Skylar Thompson and Alex Delton, with, with Delton being the more explosive of the two. Wouldn't you say, Drew? Yeah, yeah, similar as but Kyler can throw the ball in Alex. Right, right. Yeah. Which is a big difference. I actually watched Kyler play when I was at A&M hanging out. So he's made some significant improvements in his uh, decision-making and passing abilities from his freshman year, obviously, to this year. Going into this year, I wasn't sure what he was going to look like as a passer because he was not good at A&M. He 
made a lot of poor choices. But it looks like he's got that figured out in the, you know, the Oklahoma offense. Uh, I think the reads may be a little easier for him. And you know, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by his ability to uh, to really lead that passing game. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of the thing about that too is that. You know, when he was at A&M there, he was kind of the change-up quarterback, you know. He was a wildcat guy almost, you know, and, and so the offense wasn't really structured around him. But, you know, Lincoln Riley has really kind of taken what Murray does well and then is basing the offense around that as opposed to kind of throwing him in as a, you know, uh, change-up type guy. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Oakland A's staff cringes every time he runs the ball? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know what? He is actually, you know, I, I wrote about this actually over the weekend. Just, I just kind of touched on it. That actually, you know, he is extraordinarily good at protecting himself. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, you know, a lot, a lot of times that that comes off like him making a business decision, you know, to avoid a hit. But he's not a big guy. I mean, right. he kind of, he has no real choice. And I, you know, I think that if you ask the OU coaching staff, uh, you know, if they'd rather have him you know, trying to fight for a couple extra yards or, or, you know, giving himself up at times or run out of bounds. I think that they definitely go for the latter, which uh, works out well for the A's, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's about 25 pounds lighter than, than Baker Mayfield was last year. And he's also, he's not, I mean, he's not that tall. Does he ever, have you ever seen any issues with him not being able to see over the line or, you know, the tall quarterback thing that people talk about? Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, you see the occasional tip balls. There were a couple games early on where I thought it might end up being a real issue. You know, he was maybe getting three or four passes tipped in a game. Uh, it hasn't happened as often lately. And, you know, they're do, also doing a little bit to uh, improve his sight lines, you know, in terms of just giving like kind of quarterback waggles or rollouts that, you know, help him see the field a little bit better just than staying in the pocket there. Yeah, yeah, and he seems pretty dangerous throwing on the run, too. Almost a guy you don't want to let out of the pocket. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, so long as he's not throwing back across his body, he's normally pretty good. Yeah, yeah not everybody can be Patrick Mahomes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and he's got some pretty good receivers, too. You know, Marquise Brown killed K-State last year, and, and he's got the biggest numbers, but just in terms of size and athleticism, I mean, C.D. Lamb looks more like a number one guy. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Lamb has a better, uh, you know, kind of overall, you know, kind of arsenal skills. You know, he's just a, he's a bigger guy. He, uh, you know, does a great job making adjustments and with his body in the air and tracks balls pretty well. You know, I mean, Brown has definitely improved this season as, uh, you know, an all around receiver. Whereas, you know, I think that most people just looked at him as a deep threat last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still got that, but he's also, you know, doing more in terms of, uh, finding holes in the zones and, and getting open for Murray. But Lamb, I mean, I look at him, honestly, in terms of the skill set and the overall presentation, I mean, I think he's the most talented wide receiver that OU's ever had. Oh, wow. Those are big words. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the complete package, I mean, you know, he's not yeah. necessarily a burner. You know, he's not – but it just – I mean, he can do – he does everything that you ask of a receiver very well. Yeah. I have a quick, actually, I have a quick question for you because we were talking about quarterbacks and wide receivers, but I think the big story from the Texas Christian game was obviously you guys unleashing Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. Uh, 
Where where is he? It looks like every time he plays and touches the ball, he goes a long way. I, I was wondering why it took so long to, to decide to actually let him do that on a more frequent basis. Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, he started the year behind, you know, one guy who was a Heisman Trophy candidate and one guy, I think, who almost ran for 1,000 yards last year. So, I mean, you know, to a degree, it's about just about getting, I wouldn't say seniority, but just about working up through the lineup there. You know, he's a younger guy, so so there's always going to be concerns about pass protection there. That's one thing that Trey Sermon actually has done very well is, uh, you know, keep keep on uh, oncoming rushers off of Kyler Murray. But, you know, with Anderson going down, Marcellus Sutton, he was another guy who was, you know, seeing some carries early in the year. He he had an injury, so, you know, after that, Brooks was kind of thrust into this role. And, uh, yeah, he's done very well. Part of it, too, is that uh, Oklahoma's offensive line is really clicking right now, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, I look at, at Brooks's production this year. He had four carries against Florida Atlantic for 51 yards and a touchdown. And he had eight carries for 107 yards and two touchdowns against Baylor. And then, like, three carries for 34 yards against Texas. And you guys finally just decided to start feeding him the ball, I guess, against TCU. Oh, Sermon also played well. I think. Well, and Sermon got hurt near the end of that yeah. one. What's his yeah, status? Yeah, I don't know if Sermon's going to be able to go on Saturday. Uh, okay. You know, he, he looked like he was uh, – carrying his weight pretty gingerly on that right leg when he was coming off i don't so i don't and i you know they haven't even disclosed really if it's an ankle or a knee or what so you know at the moment i i would be surprised if he's out on the field on saturday so we're gonna get the kennedy brooks show (laughs) that's the way it's looking yeah you know i don't know if I mean, I'm assuming that means Brooks will be the lead back, and then, you know, uh, the number two guy will either be Sutton or potentially uh, true freshman T.J. Pledger. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so, I mean, with, with Sermon and Brooks, and it, it started to click. I mean, have you gotten to the point where you weren't thinking about Rodney Anderson much during games, or are you still like, oh, Rodney would have gotten more yards on that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that, like, for example, early there in that uh, in that game against Texas, you know, I think that Oklahoma might have had more success running the ball, uh, you know, against what was kind of like a light box there uh, against mm-hmm. against the Longhorns. So, you know, you missed it there, and there are times when, you know, Sermon might – he has a tendency at times to kind of dance a little bit when he's a really good, you know, just straight-ahead runner. And you're thinking, like, man, you know, I mean – it's just more a matter of uh, if Anderson was still in there, you know, uh, it, that might not be as much of an issue. But, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with the way that things have worked out. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is going to be some kind of a weird question. But <laughs> do you think Oklahoma scores too quickly on offense? Is, is, that, is that like – I watch some of their games and I'm like, oh, man. Man, the defense is back on the field again. This is bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what's funny is – you know, that question gets um, kind of couched as, well, OU's running up-tempo and they're, you know, getting the line fast and, and whatnot. And OU really has, doesn't do that anymore. I mean, they're not running, you know, your traditional huddles and whatnot. But, I mean, if you look at how few plays they're running uh, and how slow they're playing, I mean, they're, they're playing some of the slowest pace in the entire country. Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening, honestly, is that they're so explosive that – you know, I mean, there aren't many of those, you know, long sustained drives with them. I mean, they're, you know, they have a lot of three, four plays, you know. So, I mean, I think that 
what that does is that even if you're playing slow, if you don't, if you're not running that many plays, the ball's going back over to the other team pretty quickly, which means you know your defense is back out there, giving the other team also more opportunity to to work the clock. You know, so it it is a concern. But you know, people have asked me, well, what can OU do to change that? And you, there's nothing. I mean, right. scoring, I mean, scoring yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, are you supposed to tell them don't instead of running 60 yards, just run 20 and go down? I mean, it's not. <laughs> It's not. It just doesn't. It doesn't work that way, you know. Yeah, that'll then we're maybe missing Rodney Anderson just a little bit of having that sort of bigger guy in the backfield that maybe can is going to break off four or five, six yard runs at a time and be able to sort of have that sustained running attack as maybe some of your, as opposed to some of your, you know, smaller backs who are you know either going to go, you know, tackle for a loss or go eighty yards. Well, you know what? Sermon is actually the guy who I see as the more physical back. He's the guy that they put in there, you know, late in the game to uh, go through and really pound on defenses and shut, shut, you know, put games away. So I'm not sure if Anderson would make that much of a difference. <laughs> yeah, well, when, you know, when you've got receivers like Liam Morris who can go deep like he does, right? Where did he come from, that guy? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> question. He is... Um, uh, I, you know what? I couldn't even tell you. I know he's a walk-on, uh-huh. or I, I think at this point an ex-walk-on. I think yeah, that he's yeah. shown enough to uh, merit a scholarship from uh, Lincoln Riley. And, you know, he, I, in terms of where he's come from, like I said, I'm not quite sure, but uh, he has a real knack for the end zone, man. I mean, I think he has something like 12 catches this year and eight touchdowns or something. I mean, <laughs> he's really dangerous in, in, in like, RPO looks running down the seam. Uh, he seems to really have have that kind of down, and, and with Murray, you know, especially given how how I think the kind of uh, you know kind of fear that he puts in the defenses with his legs too, it it's kind of you know opens up a lot for him there in the middle of the field. Yeah. So you, you mentioned he's a walk on, so I have to bring up something that you wrote recently. Um, you were talking about Lee Morris, and you said, "Does any school in the country have a track record that can match OU when it comes to converting walk ons into productive contributors?" And I think a lot of K State fans. Might say, uh, yeah, yeah, K State does. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, no, K State. It'd be interesting K-State's to see. One. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to there. see how that matches up. But yeah. you know, like I guess people would be counting like Baker Mayfield as a walk on, <laughs> whatnot. So I mean, you know, when you look at that kind of stuff, but yeah, K State definitely has a very rich tradition with uh, those kind of you know diamonds in the rough. Yeah. So I guess the last thing with the offense we got to talk about the the O line. Um, you know, you, I think you wrote uh, the beginning of the year or before the year started that this was going to be a group that they needed some time to find chemistry, but they get rolling in October, and it, it kind of seems like that's what's happened, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, people kind of underrate I think the chemistry on an offensive line. You know, knowing guys are going to be in where they're supposed to be. You know, for example, on uh, you know counter plays, things like that. And, you know, OU had some struggles there. You know, they moved Bobby Evans, who I think was really their best lineman last year. They moved him from right tackle to left tackle. And that's an adjustment because it really is, you know, it's it, it's playing two different positions. And, you know, they moved Cody Ford from guard out to uh, right tackle. He was a backup last year. And so, you know, he had a little bit of an adjustment period. They've also, you know, moved on to uh, freshman or I guess sophomore center uh, Creed Humphrey who is a talented guy, but, you know, wasn't very experienced. But, you know, mm-hmm. now that they're, what, six, seven games into the year, I mean, yeah. they're really starting to click. And uh, you're seeing a lot more of the big, big holes opening up like you were seeing last year. Yeah. 
And Humphrey beat out a senior for that job, right? It seems like something Bill Snyder probably wouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, uh, you know, John Alvarez is a guy who he actually started for their, in 2015 at guard and uh, was, you know, kind of worked his way, you know, around. He was kind of used as utility man after that. He got, he got beat out uh, the next year by Ben Powers mm-hmm. for the left guard spot. But, you know, he had started the year, uh, you know, on the first line of the depth chart there at center. I think he's had some injury issues, maybe some concussions that are going to end up maybe sideline him or, you know, forcing him into retirement. But, yeah, no, Humphrey was uh, – they, they decided, I think, to make the move around game two or game three and uh, go with him exclusively. And you mentioned Ben Powers. He's a guy I want to talk about because I think he's a good example of what – We've talked about before of K-State sometimes letting the best prospects get out of Kansas. So first of all, I mean, just kind of tell us, he's probably like an NFL guy at this point, right? He's kind of been pretty dominant for you. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's a guard, so he's not going to have the same kind of uh, cachet, you know, as your, you know, your blindside protector types. But he's a he's a mauler, man. Uh, you know, in the run game, he's very, very mean, very nasty. He didn't necessarily start off the season well, but I think he's kind of been, you know, working through an injury. But uh, he's really starting to click. Yeah, and a little bit of backstory on him. So he went to, as I understand it, he went to Cape Mount Carmel in Wichita. Nobody wanted him. Like I guess, like K State, he probably would have walked on at K State, but they wouldn't even accept him as a preferred walk on. Then he went to Butler for a year, started getting a lot of attention. Um, including from K-State, they offered him, but he, he didn't want really anything to do with him because I guess he was still mad. He went to OU, and then, I don't know if, if you guys saw this, but apparently at Big 12 Media Days over the summer, somebody asked him about that, and he was clearly still a little ticked off at K-State, and he said, how does a program like K-State or KU let so many guys under their nose escape and then wonder why they can't win a championship? Which, you know, that's something we hear from fans every once in a while, too. Don't you think, Drew? Yeah, no, that, that's one of my big problems with K-State is they just, you could put it together a, a really good team or at least have some upper-level teams with uh, just some holding on to players in Kansas. And, you know, OU, I think it seems like they go in and take a look and decide what they like and maybe pick out, you know, one or two top-level players from there. And then, you know, they lose another guy to Iowa State or, you know, like Clemson comes in and pulls out a couple of guys and then, you look, you look at all the Kansas players scattered around the country, and you think, man, if you could sort of concentrate these guys in one Kansas program, you have something going. Yeah, I mean, it just makes you wonder. Like, I, I get that. You know, obviously, nobody saw anything out of high school. Maybe you don't want to offer him a scholarship, but why do you not let that guy at least be a walk? How do you miss that badly? It's uh, interesting. But, so I, I would imagine he'll be extra motivated for this game Saturday. Yeah, that uh, that kind of sounds like Powers. He's he's a soul crusher. Yeah. yeah. Well, now let's turn over to the more positive side for from Kansas State's perspective, and that is the defense. So uh, let's start out with Allen. Was there anybody outside of Mike Stoops' family and friends sad to see him let go? Yeah, I think that everybody realized it was time for a change. Um, you know, uh, people ask me why they didn't make a move before the season, and I think that that's really complicated, and it, it actually goes beyond just the what everybody thinks it seems to be seems to think is the case, and that, oh, well, it's Bob Stoops' brother. I mean, I think it's a little bit – it goes beyond that. But, you know, by the middle of the season, it's hard to explain just how toxic it had kind of gotten 
you know, the energy around between the fans and the program in a certain sense, just because Mike was kind of always hanging around and people were getting pretty tired of, of just, you know, kind of the same thing over and over. So, um, you know, I, I think that it was, everybody was, was at that point ready for something new. Mm-hmm. Do you think, it's just looking as far as the defense goes, that Bob Stoops not being there, not sort of having his sort of imprint on the defense and going with a more offensively, you know, offensive-minded coach, is that, has that damaged the defense somewhat? Are they sort of struggling with that? or is this... Well, we have to kind of stop and, and think for a second. You know, I mean, Lincoln Riley's only had that job for something like 15 months. So to say that he has changed up much, I mean, don't forget he got the job in, what, June of last year? So, I mean, to say that he was changing up everything about the program and everything, I don't think he's had much of an opportunity to do that. I mean, you know, he was there for a couple months and basically had to get right into things. Uh, Not a whole lot changed just from from the outside looking in about the program. Jerry Schmidt, OU's longtime strength and uh, conditioning coach, left to go to Texas A&M the offseason. And, uh, you know, Riley brought in Benny Wiley. And, and, you know, that that's a move that I think given, A, how long Schmidt had been there, and B, you know, I think there's a perception that Wiley had kind of washed out at Texas when he was there that, you know, I think raised some eyebrows. But, I mean, I'm not – ready to say that he's you know completely given up on the defense or you know doesn't know what he's doing there i mean it's awfully early in the process i think that ou will end up with a new defensive coordinator maybe maybe from outside the school at the end of the year so let's wait and uh see how that lines up before uh, making that call oh yeah no definitely i wasn't maybe not saying so much that, that riley has negatively affected the defense but i've always Sort of felt like Bob Stoops had his had his fingerprints on that defense. Um, yeah, yeah, as, no, as and I think that that's coach. fair. Yeah, as yeah, head no, coach. I, yeah. That when he sort of now that he's not there, and it was sort of less, you know, instead of being Bob Stoops and Mike or uh, you know Stoops or even uh, Brent Venables was there, I think Brent kind of felt like you know at some point Bob had some of his uh, you know fingers in the defense even when you know back then. And just to sort of pull that sort of uh, coach out of the program, and then all of a sudden you've got Lincoln, who's obviously a brilliant offensive mind, but maybe is leaving the defensive side of the ball uh, more alone. If that maybe is, you know, just just the lack of Bob Stoops, maybe not as the issue a little bit. Oh no, I, yeah, no, I think and I think you're dead on with that. I mean, you know, I think that Lincoln Riley, you know, clearly the offense is his baby, and so. You know, when he's looking for a defensive coordinator or he expects, you know, kind of that the defense is just going to be that the coordinator show, you know, so. Yeah. And so but the defense Saturday looked, looked a, a little better. I mean, nobody's going to mistake TCU for an offensive juggernaut. But, you know, you wrote about a little bit, um, saw, saw some signs of encouragement, and it would have been that much better if they hadn't dropped a couple of picks. Uh, can you just talk about, you know, what you saw that was encouraging against TCU? Yeah, I thought that uh, just from an energy standpoint, it looked better. There was less kind of standing around. There was a lot more gang tackling, and, and pursuit looked better. You know, it seemed like that against the run, they were filling their gaps more, uh, or filling their gaps better, I guess would be a better way to say that. You know, and I, I like the rotations also. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, frustrated people about Mike's, you know, I guess kind of tendencies is that 
the defense wasn't rotating a whole lot. You know, there was kind of like, if you were the starter, you were going to be in there. You know, there wasn't a lot of, this guy's not getting it done. We need to make a change. It was mainly based, I think, it seemed like on a lot more based on practice uh, and who they felt comfortable with. And so, you know, you saw more faces out there, more bodies, uh, you know, being uh, rotated in and out during the game. And uh, I think that that really paid off uh, in the end. Yeah. But K-State's offense kind of coming into its own a little bit. We know last year when K-State played OU was very much the time of the season when everyone was wondering why Dana Demo wasn't giving the ball to Alex Barnes more. He still had a, a pretty good game, but that that's no longer a problem. You know, is he the kind of big bruising running back that can break some tackles and have a big game against this defense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a, a big physical running game like Kansas State has is the, the kind of thing that is really – you know, it's going to set up to give OU a lot of trouble. So, uh, you know, I, that's the big, big concern, I think, for OU on Saturday is just is, is tackling Barnes. And then I don't know how they'll work the quarterback situation. I mean, Delton tore OU up last year. Well, he so, hasn't played in uh, a while. He's been hurt. So I don't know oh, if he's okay, available. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, Drew, yeah, it seems like, especially with that OU offense, you want to just grind it out on the ground as much as you can, right? Stay on the field. It seemed like Kansas State's um, best, uh, you know, way to stop Kyler Murray in this Oklahoma offense is just to hand the ball to Alex Barnes 30 times and uh, have him run for four yards a carry. Uh, just keep uh, Kyler and everybody on the sideline uh, getting frustrated and cold and, uh, you know, hope, hope for a couple a couple stops, maybe a drive stop by a penalty or a fumble or a turnover or something. I don't see Kansas State stopping Oklahoma more than two or three times a game, uh, if if that. And so, just limiting their you know time on the field is probably Wildcats' best chance to keep it close and maybe pull it out in the end. Yeah, I mean that seems to be the formula for beating OU. Really, <laughs> OU almost lost to Army, and a lot right. of that had to do with Kyler Murray just threw one pick. They got one fourth down stop on the goal line. Uh, Army did, and. That was enough to where they could just, you know, milk the clock and, uh, you know, take it down to the wire there. And it's funny, even though the score was so high, I mean, Texas did something similar in the sense that there was a lot of just methodical drives. And, uh, you know, OU uh, put the ball on the ground inside their own 25, you know, so uh, it gave Texas a, a good field position there early in the third quarter and probably made the difference in the game. Yeah, well, you know, Bill Snyder had a bye week. Maybe he had time to install the wishbone or whatever it is, Army runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did have a sort of a question. Do you think Oklahoma is going to, do you think you guys are going to change up your defensive front at all for Kansas State? Because I know you like to play five five in the back, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, like, only two people on Kansas State's roster can catch the ball. <laughs> um, so, like, just having an extra guy standing around, uh, out there doesn't seem like an ideal setup, but I know you guys like to run this three-three. Is it you run a three-three stack or something? Is that looking at? They, you know, they. That's part of I think people's big uh, issue with OU is that they don't really necessarily have a consistent identity on defense, just based on how much they do switching up the fronts and whatnot. Um, I saw, you know, Mike was running a whole lot of uh, three-man front with a lot of two gapping there the defensive line and uh, I think though that 
from what I saw on uh, Saturday versus TCU, the new group prefers their four down front and, uh, you know, using a, a playing more like a four, two, five. I don't know if they'll experiment with that first to see how well it holds up against Kansas state's running game, or if they'll go ahead and make a move to where they're playing something closer to, you know, a traditional three linebacker set. Yeah. I mean, I just look at your, at your roster. And God, you know, you've got like defensive end and nose guards. I don't really see a three technique. You know, sitting there on your roster to play that four-man front, and then, I mean, you guys are tiny on the outside with uh, Bradley Hines and Norwood, are both you know kind of smaller guys, and your safeties aren't very big at all either. Mm-hmm. That sort of lack of size, maybe especially in the back end, part of the reason why you guys get ground down against those running games. Oh, I definitely think that, that that there's something to that. You know, I mean, OU doesn't really have uh, run stoppers there in the back. You know, they gave uh, Robert Barnes a start on uh, Saturday against TCU, and he actually played really well, and he's a little bit more, uh, you know, of an enforcer type back there. But, no, I mean, the corners are pretty are pretty light. Radley Hiles, he's physical in pass coverage, but definitely not in uh, against the run game. So, that's definitely an area of concern, and, and those are the kinds of teams right now, the, the bigger teams that can uh, lie up and pound it, where they're going to just have more issues. And I don't know how, how to get that fixed at this point. Right. And it sort of leads into one more question I have, and I'll sort of let go, go of that. Do you think Oklahoma being built to play against all of these, you know, Big 12 spread, uh, high-paced offenses – do you think that hurts them when they get into, say, the college football playoffs and go up against a Georgia or a Clemson or, you know, an Alabama or something like that, where all of a sudden now you're facing teams that can on your throats? And- you know, I've thought a lot about that, honestly. Um, and it's, it is hard. I mean, I feel like you have to build a defense. You know, you kind of have to take your chances. Because, you know, if you're playing a traditional, like a three, traditional 3-4 three, out there, you know, I mean, I've seen you try to do that, and it gets picked apart, you know, by these passing games. Uh, it's just right. it's so hard to cover. But, you know, if you build a team that's too light uh, back there, they're going to have a hard time, you know, and especially, you know, in all honesty, I think OU's biggest problem, though, when it comes to uh, matching up with a team like in Alabama or Georgia, honestly, and, you know, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but Oh, you just hasn't recruited the players on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I honestly think that one thing that the spread does, you know, to a team is that it really forces you to play well in, in one-on-one type situations. And, you know, the way that you go about kind of um, fixing that to, to where you're also, you're able to face both the spread and, a, you know, a solid team like an Alabama or a Georgia that is, is going to run more pro style, I think is, to just have better players at every spot. You know, I'm not sure if it's as much scheme oriented as it is just getting more more talented, more physical players. When do you think? Yeah, I mean, I look at your secondary, right? And I just, just cause I also write for Clemson. I'm like, man, we've got two six five, two hundred and twenty pound receivers that. I don't see anybody on your roster that can. Yeah, I mean, it, well, did you see, you know, against Texas, what little Jordan Humphrey and yeah. Colin Johnson did? I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, you know, the, it, it's it been especially glaring to me, actually, at safety, yeah. yeah. Do you think any of that comes from, I mean, these high school seniors are 
watching and reading about college football and all they hear about is SEC plays the best defense, you know, whatever, Clemson's got a great defense, but Big 12 is all about offense. There's no defense play in the Big 12. I think they see that, and so I wonder, why, you know, why would I want to go play in that conference? Oh, I guarantee they do. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny, Mike Stoopsgate did a couple kind of exit interview type things, you know, with different uh, local guys right after he got fired, and he talked a lot about that. He said, you know, I mean, recruiting on defense in this conference is very difficult to get upper echelon guys because it, that you, gets used against you, that it's an all-offense conference. Mm-hmm. And one other thing with the OU defense, Saturday they had some issues with penalties. Has that been a trend this season, or was that some kind of an anomaly you're not too worried about? Oh, man, that was uh, just such a strange deal. I mean, stuff like, uh, oh, you got called. They got a sportsmanlike conduct penalty for a handshake that they've done in every game so far <laughs> this year, which was, it was just a strange time for that. And then, you know, there was like, uh, I think they got, at one point, they, they called one of OU's corners for trying to bait a receiver into a false start, which, you know, I hadn't seen. I, I mean, I don't know. I felt like it was um, – in terms of just the specifics, you know, that it was uh, a lot of one-off type stuff. But, you know, I mean, a team that is penalized the way OU is, it, that that's always kind of concerning, just playing kind of undisciplined ball, you know. Yeah, at least it wasn't. I don't know if you guys watched the Chiefs game last night, but they managed to get two too many men on the field penalties in one drive, and almost three. I mean, it was like, how did that happen? But... Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> anyway, I guess... Now, kind of before we let you go, just zoom out a little bit. And you, you talked about this a little bit earlier, Lincoln Riley not changing too much from Stoops. But, you know, what's the evaluation thus far of the Lincoln Riley era? Oh, you know, I think it's been really, really a strong start. You know, I, I think that if you had told me, for example, last year that the transition and everything cost OU a game or two more than it did, I, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. You know, I think that he's got uh, – he's – doing a lot more stoops bob stoops it was very kind of um you know he had a very specific way of going about doing things you know and it wasn't that it was bad in fact like i i think that stoops kind of you know determination and and stability is a big reason why he had so much success at ou but you know riley's put a different spin on different things he's certainly doing more in terms of, uh, you know, recruiting-wise, getting you know, his name out there, getting out there, doing more of the publicity-type stuff that Soup's really shunned doing. And so, you know, it, it's a different – it's just a different kind of um, approach and, you know, one that I think has really kind of revitalized the fan base after, you know, a, a long history of kind of seeing the same story kind of over and over every season, which it's a total first-world problem, you know, when, <laughs> when you've had as much success as you had. But – you know, it, you know, it's just a lot of times you can change kind of, you know, revitalizes things. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, we, we know the feeling in K-State. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Getting that. And, and Drew, but what's your sense on, you know, did that change much with the Oklahoma State win? Or are people still pretty wary of Snyder right now? I need to see more. Uh, you know, I don't know if one win is going to be the salve on this, <laughs> uh, on this sort of broken arm, I feel like, we, uh-huh. you know, it feels a little better right now, but uh, it could get a whole lot worse again. It'll be interesting to see how they hold up against this Oklahoma attack, because Oklahoma State just ran the most idiotic offensive <laughs> game plan. It was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> like, Kansas State's problem is their linebackers. 
and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their strength is their like outsider uh, corners, and they just and Oklahoma State refused to attack the middle of the field. Baylor put Clint <laughs> on a clinic, uh, draw the linebackers up, throw it over their heads in front of the safeties, profit. That that was <laughs> that was the whole game plan. It was really simple, really. If you watched if you watched that Baylor game, and I was expecting that against you know Oklahoma State to do that, and they just decided to pick on. Duke Shelley and uh, on the outside and the safeties, it made no sense, and so that helped out you know a ton against uh, <laughs> Oklahoma State it was just a terrible game plan. So I don't think Oklahoma will fall into that trap of just being stupid and sort of cooperating with what Kansas State wants to do. So I'm a little worried about this game and this sort of explosive <laughs> offense. We'll see. I feel like Kansas State has played. Three, this will be the third, you know, you've got Mississippi State, West Virginia, and Oklahoma as probably the three best teams for different reasons offensively, and uh, it hasn't been pretty. Yeah, well, Mississippi State has looked bad a couple games recently. It's kind of like, wow, how did Case State look so good? I feel like Mississippi State puts a lot of pressure on your linebackers to make decisions, and that was... Kansas State just couldn't couldn't do that. Well, and I think recently teams have figured out that Nick Fitzgerald can't throw at all. So. Yeah, that's also helpful. <laughs> it was also helpful. But against Kansas State, they just drove the linebackers yeah. up and popped it over their heads. It wasn't, he was having to make like four and five yard throws. Right. Well, it, it helps when you got a secondary like a team like LSU too. I mean, yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that LSU second. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Kansas State sort of comes out and if, if they're able to pull the ball I think we'll have, they'll have a shot at it um, and again it's the same thing I said against Oklahoma State uh, Kansas State has to stay in the game early they can't get down um, any of the games where you know they've been in it until the very end are games that they've either been right with the team or you know or ahead well they were down two possessions in South Dakota um, right yeah <laughs> Other than you can actually make up the talent gap against the team, <laughs> which is South Dakota, maybe the only only team on the uh, schedule that happens against. Yeah, so if you can, if Kansas State can can stay even or you know touchdown, three points behind, still go up, then everything looks good. Um, they look good against Texas. Um, you know they stuck with Baylor, that was okay. You know they they sort of kept Oklahoma State from jumping on them early and sort of ground them down. Um, but they've got to stay in it early because that offense does not is not built to score points quickly or even have that sort of pressure that they need to score on them. So that's what I'm a little worried about with this Oklahoma State offense and special teams really just putting some points up early and then forcing Kansas State to do some things they're not comfortable doing. Yeah. Well, and so we know, I mean, this would be obviously a huge win for Kansas State, but Alan, we know OU's, OU's thinking about a lot bigger things than just beating K-State. We were talking about a little before the podcast. What would it take for these Sooners to, to make the playoff this year? Uh, make the playoff? I mean, I think that they, you know, I think at this point, if I were OU and, and I won out the rest of the way, I mean, I'd feel pretty good about my chances. Um, I know there's a lot to talk about. Big 12 getting snubbed again, and maybe, I don't know, Big 12 teams, but, you know, the best, that's the best you can do. I think that, you know, something like Notre Dame losing would certainly be a help, you know, or if, you know, 
all of a sudden uh, teams from the Big Ten start really started dropping, that would also probably help. But, you know, the best that we can do at this point is just, you know, win the rest of their games. Yeah. So I guess How something... excited were you about Purdue knocking off Ohio State? That was, I feel like, a huge step in the right direction for Oklahoma making the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I still think that there's probably, you know, a couple Big Ten, t- or at least one big other Big Ten team out there in Michigan that, uh, you know, will have something to say about this before it's over. But, uh, yeah, no, that definitely, that definitely would, I guess, help OU's case. So I guess last thing before we ask you to make a prediction for Saturday is, you know, every once in a while we have all these discussions about who's going to replace Bill Snyder and, Inevitably, Bob Stoops' name comes up. You know, he's only 58, so he's young enough to be Bill Snyder's son at this point. Uh, <laughs> but is there any chance that would happen in your mind? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I think that uh, I'm not sure about the golf courses around Manhattan. I think that would be a, a big thing. You Clover knows I mean, is pretty good. You know, Bob's- Bob Stoops has a lot of mentors, one of them, of course, being Bill Snyder. But also, you know, I think I always think that if, uh, you know, a guy like Stoops is going to come back, he might follow a Steve Spurrier route, you know, a program like South Carolina, where the expectations weren't quite, you know, what you'd get at a place like Florida. But, you know, the quality of life is good. There's a lot of golf around there and stuff like that. So I don't see Kansas State as being in Stoops's. uh <laughs> You know, in Stoops' future, if, if coaching at all is even in Stoops' future. So uh, I'd be looking – I'd probably look elsewhere. Man, if you had Bob Stoops and Frank Martin at South Carolina, that'd be tough for, for K-State fans. <laughs> 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 all, right. all right. Well, do you want to make a prediction for us for, for Saturday's game? Oh, gosh, man. I haven't looked at it that closely yet. You know, I'll say something along the lines of, let's see here, how about 34-20. Okay. Oklahoma. Okay. That would be uh, oh, 34 almost seems low, but K-State's defense has managed to, you know, to hold everybody, I think, to 35 or less so far somehow. So, yeah, why not continue that trend? could happen yeah i mean and and uh i i see you know i mean especially if kansas state can kind of keep its offense on the field and, mm-hmm. and keep the ball out of OU's hands yeah yeah for sure all right well alan thanks a lot for, for coming on really appreciate you uh-huh. um people can read your stuff is it, is it just blatanthomerism.com is that right or yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely yeah thanks so much for having me on guys really yeah. appreciate it and you're on twitter at just at blatanthomerism that's correct yep <sighs> All right, cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Drew, for, for joining us. No problem. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Yep. Signing off.